Now, we are in a series called We Are One. This is a series on unity. This is our third, third message in this series. Um, the, ti- the reason we titled the series We Are One is because we each need to understand that we are all part of one body of Christ. When you gave your life to Jesus, you gave up your last name, you gave up your first name. Your name is Son of God, Daughter of God, Child of God. You, your name, you have Jesus' name tattooed on your arm, on your forehead, actually. Um, you have His name on you. So since we all belong to Him, we're all part of His family, which means we're all part of His body, His body of Christ. We have to begin to realize when we talk about one another, when we speak wrongly about one another, to one another, do things to each other that are not that are not uh, things that are nice or, or, or whatever, we're doing it against ourselves. That is the truth. On the, other, on the other side, when you speak well to somebody, you encourage somebody or do something for another person, you're not just doing it to them, you're doing it to me. Remember that parable that Jesus said? Uh, he said um, that the, this, this man that went to heaven and he said, hey, uh, when, he said, you, you clothed me, you fed me. When I, when, I was, when I didn't have any clothes, when I was hungry, you, you fed me. When I didn't have a home, you, you, you gave me a home. And they said, Jesus, when did you do this? He said, when you did it to the least of these, you did it to me. And so whenever we serve one another, we're doing it for ourselves. But when we, when we do uh, things, to, when we sin against one another, we do it against ourselves. So we are one. In the first lesson, the title of the message was Our Secret Weapon. And the reason we said it's our secret weapon, unity is our secret weapon, because we know about prayer, we know about fasting, but I do not hear enough teachers and preachers and pastors, including myself, talk about the power of unity. Um, We've been reading from Psalm 133, we're going to read it again a little bit later on, but whenever brothers dwell together in unity, when people come together in unity, power is released. It is our secret weapon, it is something I believe that we are supposed to focus on uh, from, from this moment going forward. Jesus said in, or in, in the psalmist said in Psalm 133 that that is where he commands the blessing. Again, how many of y'all want the Lord to command a blessing in your life? I don't know any other verse in the Bible where it says God commands a blessing. He commands a blessing where he finds unity. Unity in marriages, unity in family, unity in our workplaces, unity in the body of Christ. Wherever he finds unity, he commands a blessing. Because you know what it takes to have unity? It takes us laying aside our opinion about what needs to happen. This is why he blesses unity, because unity says, hey, it's not just about me and what I want. It's about what's best for everyone. So I want to ask you a question. How well have you been valuing unity the past few weeks? How well have you been valuing unity in your marriage, in your, in, in your relationships, at your job? Unity looks different in marriage than it does maybe with our kids and with with, uh, with our jobs, I had somebody come up to me that first week and, and heard about, we were talking about unity and, and kind of getting on the same page and basically asked, does that mean my kids get an equal say in the house? You know this? And then I said, no, they don't. <laughs> no, they do not. I don't know how. And unity may look like you as a parent sacrificially loving them, leading them, laying down your life for your kids while at the same time telling them what to do. And for your, your, for your children, it's them submitting to your authority. You as a parent have the, you have the power to teach your kids to submit to you. Now, that's, a, that's another topic, but we do. 
If, you, if your kids were given to you, then grace was given to you to lead them and raise them. So that's another, another series. Um, at your job, you do not have the same say as your boss. Unity for you may look like, hey, I don't agree with how we're supposed to execute this plan, but because for the sake of unity, I'm going to submit to my boss, to my supervisor, and come under his authority so that we can have unity here. Unity in the marriage looks like this. Hey, we each have an equal have equal rights. And there are some people that, that teach, well, the husband is the head of the wife, so he has more authority. No, that's not true. We are given different responsibilities, and, and, and we talked about that during our marriage series last year. We each have, yes, we each have equal authority, but we have equal authority to serve one another. The best marriages work when, when both parties are serving one another. When they say, hey, I'm going to live for you, and then she says, I'm going to live for you. We have the equal rights to serve one another. This is how we can be unified. I mentioned this last week and the week before, but some marriages will fall apart this year because one or both, both parties are not valuing unity. They're valuing their opinion above what's best for the marriage and best for the family. We have to begin to walk in unity. Our secret weapon. And then last week we talked about unity with Jesus. We read in John 17 how Jesus valued unity with the Father. He said, not my will, but your will be done. We saw this whenever he was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he said, Father, I don't want to go to the cross. I don't want to drink this cup that you're handing me to drink. But Father, nevertheless, not what I want, but what you want. Because Jesus valued unity with the Father, he was able to bring unity to the disciples. Remember, the disciples were more than likely teenagers. They were very divided. They were very arrogant. They were very prideful. They were this 12 group of men who were far, far away from being united. But because Jesus valued unity with the Father, he was able to bring unity among his disciples and his apostles. How did that happen? Um, when Jesus, when Jesus went to heaven, whenever Jesus says, I'm going to go to heaven, he said, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit came down and took this very divided group of boys and made them bold uh, fishers of men. And so much so where they were not scared for their life anymore. And they were able to die for the sake of the gospel. Because Jesus uh, valued unity with the father first, he was able to bring unity with his with his with his apostles we cannot experience supernatural unity with other people until we first experience unity with jesus i'm going to say this again we cannot experience supernatural unity in our marriages in our families in our in our workplaces until with other people until we first experience unity with jesus this is why jesus was able to change the world because he he valued unity with the father Likewise, we have to value unity with Jesus. What does that look like? That surrendering our will to his will. You know, when you get saved, you're not just saying a prayer. Salvation is not just saying a prayer. It's making him our savior and our Lord. Lord means master. We don't get to just say a prayer and then do whatever we want to do. We say, Lord, my life does not belong to me anymore. What time do you want me to get up? Where do you want me to go? Where do you want me to work? Who do you want me to marry? What do you want me to do with my life? That's what it means to have him, Lord. Whenever we come under his authority, guess what? We get his authority. The reason why there are a lot of people who are powerless because they have not fully surrendered their will to his will. When you're walking in your authority, guess what? You're walking in your power. And I asked this last week, how much power do you actually have? 
The older you get, the more you realize you have no power whatsoever compared to other people or, 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 or God even. But when we come under his authority, we get his authority. How many of you want his power and his authority? We can do that when we come under it. So I, w- I actually wanted to talk about unity with the body of Christ today. And so as, last week I was getting ready, I was thinking about it. But this phrase, and I mentioned it last week on the day of Pentecost, what, the phrase was the anointing, anointing. And that phrase just stayed in my mind even the, the whole week. And I remember getting ready to, to write my sermon. I thought, okay, I need to expand on this and talk about it. And before I knew it, I had enough notes for almost half a sermon. And I thought, Lord, okay, I'm supposed to talk about the body. And, and then as I kept going, the Lord said, no, I'm giving you all these notes because you're supposed to talk about this. The title of today's message is Unity with the Holy Spirit. Unity with Jesus, the first thing we have to, we have to be united with him first in salvation and then um, uh, experience unity with the Holy Spirit. What happens when we're united to Jesus? The Bible says when we believe, we come under his authority, we believe in Jesus, he gives us a way to go to heaven. Would you all agree with that? He died on the cross, his blood uh, uh, covers our sins and we can go to heaven. However... Just because he gives us power to go to heaven doesn't necessarily mean he gives us power to have an overcoming life. If we want to have this power to get through every situation we may experience in this life, we have to be united with the Holy Spirit. Unity with Jesus, salvation, gives us the power to go to heaven. Unity with the Holy Spirit gives us the power to live an overcoming life. There are some people in here who do not have any power because, yes, you have been saved and you've given your life to Jesus, but you've not experienced the power of the Holy Spirit. The fruits of our spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That comes from the Holy Spirit. So if you don't have love, you don't have patience, you don't have peace, you don't have joy, you don't have these things, you have not experienced the fullness of the power of the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to tell you that God wants to give that to you today. We have to learn to value unity with the Holy Spirit if we're going to experience power. What I want us to do, I want us to pray. I want you just to close your eyes and we're going to invite the Holy Spirit in to begin to speak to us. There's going to be a lot of teaching today, but I promise you it's going to be worth, uh, worth listening and taking notes. Father, we thank you for today. Father, I believe there are going to be lives transformed in a greater way. God, I believe my life is going to be transformed in a greater way. Because we are inviting and valuing unity with your Holy Spirit. So I want you to just take a moment and say, Jesus, I welcome you in. Holy Spirit, I welcome you into my life into my soul, my mind, my will, and my emotions. I welcome your power. I relinquish my power, my authority. I surrender myself to you, Jesus, and I ask you to give me the Holy Spirit so I can walk in the power that you intended for me to have. In Jesus' name, amen. We've read this passage. We'll probably keep reading it, but Psalm 133 verse 1 says this. Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It is like the precious oil on the head, running down on the beard, running down on the the, collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. 
For there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. In this passage, the psalmist is saying that when brothers come together in unity, it is like when Aaron the priest was anointed with the anointing oil. We're going to we're get into that a little bit today. But in the Old Testament, when somebody was called to do something by the Lord, they were anointed with oil. The oil represents, in the, in the Bible, represents the Holy Spirit. And so whenever, the, whenever brothers come together in unity, it is like the Holy Spirit being poured out on top of the head. Now, I, I, we're gonna, again, we're going to expand on that. How many of y'all have heard the phrase, the anointing? The anointing. How many of y'all grew up in a charismatic church? Tongue talking, devil stomping, holy roller. I grew up in that church. Come on, I'm going to see your hand if you grew up in that church. I'm going to talk with you afterwards. Okay. So, so how many of you are hurt? Okay, yeah, come on. Pretend y'all went there. Those churches were loud. They were, they were boisterous. How many of y'all um, heard a pastor talk about that and say, hey, the anointing is here to do this? The anointing, okay. That phrase, the anointing, was on my heart all week, all week. And this is what really led us to talk about what we're going to be talking about this morning. The anointing was derived from this process of someone being anointed, but it, it, was, uh, it was coined to describe God's power. In the Old Testament, a man of God would be sent, God would speak to a man, and he would send him to go and anoint, which means to pick out a king, a prophet, or, 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 or to anoint a priest or, 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 or Levite for the work of the Lord. They were sent by the Lord to, uh, um, a man of God was sent by the Lord to these different people, uh, and when God wanted them to do something, they would, he, the, the man of God would pour oil on their head, and then the Holy Spirit would come upon them, giving them the power to do the thing that God asked them to do. Does that make sense? They were, they were appointed, whenever the man of God came and anointed them, they were appointed to do something, and also not just appointed, but they were also empowered. How many of you know that when God asks you to do something, you're not going just in the, in the power of your strength. You're going in the power of his strength. Wherever God leads, he equips us. It's important to know that because guess what? God is going to ask us to do some things, to go some places that we've never been before. Anybody been there? Starting this church was one of those things. I thought, Lord, I, I don't want to do it. And I don't know how we're going to do this, but I knew we had a word from the Lord. Very, very clear. And I said, okay, Lord, I did not have the skills at the beginning of this church to lead this church. I look back now and I realize there were some, just some things that I was thinking. I do not have the skills, but I knew I had, I was appointed to do this. And along the way, the Lord said, I know you're not called to do this. You're not, you, you don't have the skills to do this, but you're called to do it. If you will begin to walk in faith, I will show you how you are to walk. There are things, again, he's going to ask you to do some things. Maybe even this week, you have to, if you know the Lord is speaking to you, you have to begin to walk in faith and trust that he's going to equip you with every tool you need for this season of your life. We are appointed and empowered. I want you to turn to 1 Samuel 16. We're going to read about when David was anointed to be king. 1 Samuel 16, we're going to read several verses. So please, please turn there if you have your Bible or have your phone. In this story we're about to read, God sends the prophet Samuel to anoint David to be king. But there's a problem with that. Israel already had a king. Who was their king? Saul. Saul was the king. Why is God sending Samuel to anoint 
an, uh, another man to be king because Saul did not honor the Lord. He was not obedient to the Lord. And the Lord said, hey, I cannot allow somebody to lead my people that is not going to surrender to me and obey me in every way. So he, so he said, all right, Samuel, I need you to go find another man. You're going to find him in Jesse's house. Look at verse 1. It said, the Lord said to Samuel, how long will you grieve over Saul? How long are you going to cry about Saul? Since I have rejected him from being king over Israel, fill your horn with oil and go, and I will send, I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. And Samuel, but look, at what Sam, look how Samuel responded. He said, how can I go? If, all, if Saul hears it, he will kill me. This, Saul wants to continue to be king. I know he's been disobedient to you, Lord. But if he finds out that I'm going to find another king, he will certainly come after me. The Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I've come to sacrifice to the Lord and invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what you shall do. And look, you shall anoint for me him whom I declare to you. Remember, when, when someone is anointed, God is anointing them. Not the man, not the pastor, not the priest, whoever. God anoints that person. He says, you will, you will anoint for me him whom I declare to you. Look at verse 4. Samuel did what the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem. The elders of the city came to meet him, trembling and said, Do you come peaceably? And he said, Peaceably I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. This is really important. Another word for consecrate is purify. Another word for consecration is purity or purification. What is the word of the year for us? Purity. Let me just, before we continue this conversation, you cannot be anointed. You cannot receive the anointing until you purify yourself. God is so perfect. I was not, I did not know we were going to be talking about this at the beginning of the year, whenever we got the word purity, but the Lord knows the steps. All we have to do is just follow him. He knew that in order for us to be anointed, to be anointed with the Holy Spirit, when we come in unity with Jesus, we come in unity with the Holy Spirit, and when we eventually come in unity with one another, he knew that in order to do that, we had to be purified first. I want to ask you again, how well have you been focusing on this word purity this year? How, and what does purity mean? Purity is not perfection. You may think, well, man, I'm still struggling with this. Purity is saying, God, I know there's this issue in my life. I've been carrying this. I'm trying to deal with it. I really am. I'm praying about it. I'm reading my Bible to see what your word says about it. I'm bringing people, pastors, leaders, accountability partners, mentors into my life to help me. Father, I'm trying to do these things. You know what that process that I just described is? That is purity. To not walk in purity is to say, yeah, I know I deal with that, but oh well. God is asking us to live purely, to do our best to address these things. Samuel told, told Jesse and his sons, hey, before I anoint, and they didn't, they didn't know this, but before I anoint this person, you have to all consecrate and purify yourselves. Now look at verse 6. When they came, he looked on Eliab and thought, this is the oldest son, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. Before is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as a man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. This is really important. 
God does not look at people the way that we look at people. God does not respect the same people we respect. Just look at the different people we respect. Unfortunately, we respect... Not that, not, not that they're not respectable, but to, to a, I think to too much of a high degree respect actors. We respect businessmen who have a lot of money. We respect these things. And God is saying, I know Eliab is the oldest. I know he's probably the most handsome and probably the tallest. But I, but I do not respect people the way that you respect people. We are all created in the image of God. But just because we look a certain way or have certain things doesn't mean God necessarily respects us. You know who God respects? Those who are here to do His will. So if you want to be seen the way that we're going to see David was seen in God's eyes, then you have to have a, have a heart like Him. God doesn't call the equipped. He equips the called. This is good. He doesn't call, he doesn't call the people who have the right tools, the right education, the right certificates or right whatever he calls he 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 equips those he has already called in the world's eyes and Eliab should have been called he should because he was the firstborn he had had access to the birth the birthright of the firstborn the extra blessing but but God said no I know his heart he is not the one I picked for this position so we're going to keep reading verse 8 then Jesse called Abinadab the second oldest and made him pass before Samuel and he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jason, uh, Jesse made Shammah pass by, and he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen any of these. Then Samuel said to Jesse, are all your sons here? I can imagine Samuel. Imagine you're Samuel, you're sent by the Lord on a dangerous mission, and it was because if Saul would, would have found out, he would have killed him. On this dangerous mission, you're like, Lord, I'm not supposed to. Put yourself in his shoes. Remember, I said the Lord's going to ask you to do things that you've never done before. So imagine you find yourself in Samuel's position. You get to the place and you're doing the thing and and then everything. And then finally you realize it's not working out the way that you thought it was going to work out. Anybody been there? I've been there. Going back to talk about starting this church, there was a point in 2019 where I thought, Lord, we are going the opposite direction. We had no ties coming in. It was... The complete opposite of this right now. And I remember the Lord said, just told me, hey, what did I tell you to do? I told you to do this and to be faithful and to steward it. Samuel in that moment had to make a decision. He could have, if he had been another prophet or another man, he could have said, you know what? I knew this was a waste of time. All of, I told Jesse to bring his sons. They're here. I'm going to go. I'm going to leave. But what did, what did Samuel say? In, in, I know internally, he didn't say this out loud. Internally, he said, okay, Jesse. He said, uh, he said are all your sons here? And then uh, Jesse said, there remains yet the youngest. But behold, he is keeping the sheep. Instead of running, Samuel says, okay, Jesse, do you have any more sons? I know I told you to ring them all. I thought you would obey me this first time around, but maybe you're holding out on me. Jesse says, hey, yeah, there's one more, but you know what? He's keeping the sheep. You may not know this about shepherds, but shepherding was considered the lowliest job anyone could have. And they, and, and Jesse said, my youngest is going to do that. And I, and I was thinking about this. Um, I was trying to compare it to shepherding to, to uh, uh, comparing in a way that we could understand. 
just think in your mind the lowliest job you could have. I know we're in the 21st century and, and all jobs, they are important. I'm not saying they're not important. But all of us have thought, okay, the last thing I'll do is this, right? Anybody? Right? I threw this out last time, and if you work here, don't, don't, do not stone me. Um, I thought, some of you may think, oh, McDonald's. I'm not going to work at McDonald's. I'm not going to do that. Um, okay, apparently all of y'all do, because y'all are not laughing at that. That was supposed to be kind of funny. <laughs> um, all jobs are important. They really are. But in, to somebody, McDonald's or a fast food place or whatever is like the last job you want, would want to work. In that society, shepherds were those people. But did you know that when, G, when, when God decided to announce Jesus' arrival on this planet, you know who he first revealed it to? Shepherds. Remember the shepherds who were keeping sheep the way the song goes? And then the angels sang from heaven, announcing that the Messiah had come? Remember, God does not look on, at people the way that we look at people. And God, decide, and God decided to send Samuel to anoint a shepherd the worst job in your mind to anoint somebody that was doing that job to become king of Israel, which tells me, don't worry about the season that you're in. There are many of us that are in seasons where like, God, why am I here? You may be in that season the way David was placed in that shepherding season so that you could be found faithful. I don't know why I'm saying this, but I think somebody, there's somebody here that needs to know God has not forgotten about you. You do not find yourself in that place. Nope. He puts you in that place. You may think God's forgotten about me. I went through that whole season for no reason. That happened and I've been trying to be faithful. Not perfect, but I've been trying to be faithful. I have to believe that David probably felt that way. Let me tell you, God hasn't forgotten about you. He was a shepherd, the lowliest job. But look what, look, what, well, look what happens to him. And Samuel said to Jesse, send and get him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him, for this is he, this is the king. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel arose rose up and went away to Ramah. What happened after David was anointed with oil? What does it say, the third line? The Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David. Again, when God anoints somebody to do something, He empowers them. How are they empowered? With the Holy Spirit. Look at this. The Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. What is another time in the Bible that anybody can remember where the Spirit of the Lord rushed into a place? Anybody remember? What was last weekend? Pentecost. Remember? The Holy Spirit rushed in on the day of Pentecost because Jesus anointed the disciples with the Holy Spirit. This is so good. Look at Acts 13, verse 22. Paul's preaching in Antioch, and he's talking about David. He says, And when he had removed him, talking about Saul, he raised up David to be their king, means he anointed him, of whom he testified and said, this is God talking, he says, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart, who will do all my will. Let's read it again. I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart, who will do all my will. 
You know why David was anointed to be king? Why he was given the power to rule over the nation of Israel? Because it was found in him a man after God's heart who would do all of his will. You know why Saul was removed from being king? Because he was interested in doing his will and not God's will. David valued unity with the Father first. Then he was allowed to be anointed with the Holy Spirit. How are you united with Jesus? How are you united with the Father? When we say, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. We say, God, not what I want in this life, but what you want for me in this life. Because David valued that in the shepherding season, in the lowliest of the lows, because he valued that, God said, I see you, David. You're hiding before. Your own father didn't want to invite you to, be, to the ceremony. But I see you, David. I'm going to raise you from being the lowliest in the land to being the highest in the land. Again, church, God does not look on the outward appearance. He looks on the heart. It doesn't matter what season you're in. It doesn't matter. If you, will find your, if you will be found faithful doing what he asks you to do, you will be exalted. Amen. Don't try, amen. Don't try to exalt yourself. Not only was David anointed, Jesus was anointed. Look at Luke 4, verse 16. Jesus comes into Nazareth, he says, he came to the city where he had been brought up, where he grew up, and as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. This is, this is very interesting. Jesus didn't go and pick out this scroll from, the, from where the scrolls were kept. This scroll was handed to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me, there is anointed again, to do some things, to proclaim good news to the poor, to proclaim liberty to the captives, the recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Verse 20, and he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. This is, this is wild. This, the scroll was handed to him, and uh, oh, this is good. And Jesus opens up the scroll, finds Isaiah 61, the reading for that day, and it says, "Hey guys, today I am fulfilling this prophecy that was prophesied hundreds of years ago. It is fulfilled today. Today, if you can throw up, um, back those verses, verse verse 18." Today, the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. Today, I'm going to begin to, to tell you the good news that there is a way to have a relationship with the Father. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, those who are in bondage to addiction, bondage to depression, bondage to fear. I've come to set them free and to recovering of sight to the blind. You, those of you who are, have not been able to see which way you're supposed to go, I'm going to show you the way to set at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Today, this... I have been anointed to do these things. David was anointed to lead the nation of Israel, to do what God wanted them to do. That age was called the golden age of Israel with David and Solomon as kings, the, 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 um, most, the most blessed time that Israel has ever experienced. And Jesus was anointed to save us from our sins. How many of you know you can be anointed the way they were? You know what's sad is, uh, right now we're doing this, but on the inside we're doing this. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. Really? I don't, th- I don't think so. That lie is keeping you from being anointed that way. 
Listen, freedom is truth. Bondage is a lie. If we, I know the devil's telling you, you know, you're never going to be like Jesus. You're never going to be like David. You're never going to be, those guys, whatever. Jesus said, the things that you've seen me do, not only will you be able to do those things, but you'll be able to do greater things. Listen, either that is true or Jesus is a liar. The only, those are the only two options. Either that statement he made is true or he's a liar. Obviously, he's not a liar, so it must be true. You can be anointed. Now, when was Jesus anointed? This is very interesting. Jesus was anointed after he was baptized. We read in um, Luke 4. In the previous chapter in Luke 3, he was baptized. He was water baptized. And we're gonna get, so when he said, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me to bring good news he said that right after he got baptized. And we're going to read it. Look at Matthew 3, verse 13. It says, Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to, jo- to John the Baptist to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? John, and I, can, I, I just can imagine John. John was the first person on this planet that recognized Jesus as the Son of God. And so he sees Jesus coming to him and Jesus says, Hey, I need you to baptize me. And John, I'm sure, thought, Look, these people may not realize who you are, but I know who you are. There's no way you're going to baptize me. You are the Son of God. If anything, I need to be baptized by you. But look at Jesus' response. He said, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill our righteousness. Then John consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending on him like a dove and coming to rest on him. When he was baptized, the heavens were open and the Spirit of God came and rested on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. You may not realize this, but Jesus was not just baptized one time right there. He was baptized twice. He was first baptized in water, but then he was baptized with the Holy Spirit. Jesus was the first person. Now what happens when we're baptized with the Holy Spirit? Look at Acts 1 verse 4. And while staying with him, Jesus ordered them, do not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father. This is the Holy Spirit. And he said, you heard about me in John 14, 15, and 16. I told you that when I am ascended to the Father, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. The disciples had been baptized in water the way Jesus was, but they had not yet been baptized with the Holy Spirit. I'm going to to prove it to you in a minute. Look at verse 8 of Acts 1. It says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Spirit baptism brings power. Again, Jesus was baptized in Luke 3 and also in Matthew 3 we read in Luke 3. And then in the very next chapter in Luke 4, he says, Now I'm ready to proclaim good news to the poor because I've now been anointed. Many of us know the Great Commission, right? Matthew 28, go into all the world, preach the gospel, uh, making disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Did you, many of us think that, that, that those words were Jesus' last words. And we think it's that because it's at the very end of Matthew 28, the last chapter, the last verses of the Bible. But did you know the last thing that Jesus said was not go? The last thing he said was wait. 
He said, yes, you, yes, you are the, my disciples, you believe in me, but there is something else you need if you're going to go into all the world and preach the gospel. You are to wait for the promise of the Father. Listen, many of us, although being saved is a great thing, are only saved. Some of us have gone when we have needed to wait. We needed to wait because we needed to wait for the promise of the Father, which was power, which was anointing. Jesus demonstrated all this. He he actually demonstrated all three things. You may not realize this either, but there's three baptisms. Um, The first one is salvation. I could talk about it later. Even though Jesus didn't have to be saved, he demonstrated salvation. How did he demonstrate salvation? Because he said, not my will, but your will be done. He came under the Father's authority the same way we come under his authority. Then he was water baptized. And then when he came up out of the water, he was spirit baptized. Even though he was 100% God, he was also 100% man, which meant he had to, be ba- he, he had to show us every step, of the, every step of the Christian walk. He heard the Father's voice. We hear his voice. And we follow him the way he followed the Father. Now, back to the phrase, the anointing. I want you to turn to 1 John 2 real quick. 1 John 2. How many of y'all would agree that the anointing or being anointed uh, describes the Holy Spirit or more specifically the power of the Holy Spirit? How many would agree? Okay, we just went, hopefully you do because we just went through all that. The anointing or being anointed describes God's power coming on us to do something. The power to accomplish divine tasks. Now look at 1 John 2. I think this is the only passage in the New Testament that has the phrase the anointing. Um, and you can correct me later, but I did a little, little research. This is the only time it talks about the anointing. Listen to this. this is, it's going to get really good. Children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard, the Antichrist is coming. So now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. And just, just to clarify, yes, there is an Antichrist coming to kick off the tribulation, but there is also the spirit of Antichrist that is, still, that is alive in the world today. The spirit of Antichrist is this. It is, a, is the person that rejects Jesus from being the Messiah. You can even say anti-Messiah. We don't need a Messiah. No, he's not the Messiah. That is the spirit of Antichrist. And he's saying it's here even right now. Verse 19. They went out from us, but they were not of us. Talking about people, this is another interesting thing. He's talking about disciples that were, went to church with them, that went to house church and did these things. Even though they, they said they were believers, they really weren't. He says, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would, never con- they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might be claimed that they are all not of us. Verse 20. He says, but you have been, there it is, anointed by the Holy One. And you all have knowledge. Listen carefully. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it. And because no lie is of the truth. He says, you've been anointed. Anointed why? To no knowledge and no truth. This is important. In John 14, 15, and 16, Jesus talks about the Holy Spirit coming after he ascends to heaven. We already talked about that. He calls him the comforter, but in each chapter he calls him this, the spirit of truth. He calls him the spirit of truth. He says, he, I'm leaving, I know you're sad, but the spirit of truth is going to come and he's going to remind you of everything I taught you and he's going to show you specifically what you're going to do in your personal life. Okay, that's the spirit of truth. Look at verse 26. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. Okay, truth. Remember, 
Freedom is, truth is freedom, lie is bondage. He says, there are going to be people who come along who try to deceive you. Hey, just do what makes, do what feels good. Just do whatever you want. Now, God sees your heart. God sees your heart. Just, you know, just do your best, kind of do your best, whatever. He says, there are going to be people that are going to come along to try to deceive you and try to talk to you. Your friends, your best friends, your family members. Verse 27, but the anointing, who's the anointing? The Holy Spirit that you receive from him abides in you and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it is taught you, abide in him. Amen. The anointing is the spirit. It's the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. It's all one and the same. This is this is good. In, in Acts 1, the Holy Spirit came to give us power, Right. Okay, you agree? But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. But in 1 John 2, it says, the anointing will teach you. What kind of power does the Holy Spirit bring us? This is good. Go back to 1 John 2, verse 27. Verse 26, and then sorry, 26 verse. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. Those people are going to try to deceive you. What happens when we believe a lie? We go in bondage. Everything you're struggling with today Everything can be tied back to a lie. Everything. We just have to pray about it and say, Lord, would you show us the lie? Our thoughts come from what we believe. Verse 27, but, but, there are people trying to deceive you, but the anointing, the Holy Spirit that you receive from him abides in you. And you don't need, you don't have a need for anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it is taught you, abide in him. What, this is going to blow some, somebody's mind. What kind of power does the Holy Spirit bring? The power to know truth. Okay, you may think, you may think, okay, but yeah, it gives us the, the, the boldness. And yes, that is true. But how many of y'all have got, been going through something really hard and you feel like the devil was about to get the victory and you're about to be sucked in and then you called somebody and that person, that pastor, that mentor, that friend encouraged you in the Lord, reminded you of the truth. And what happened after you got off the phone call? You were set free. Man, God, I, thank you for sending that person my way so I can know the truth. Jesus said to his disciples, John 8, 31. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, the Bible, you will become my disciples and then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. The Holy Spirit, oh, the Holy Spirit has been given to us to remind us of truth. You know why many of us stop coming to church? Because oh, God knows my heart. You know what? Man, I'll just read. You know, I don't. It's okay. What is the truth? That any time. Okay, that's the lie. The truth is when we come together as the body of Christ, we're strengthened, we're unified, and God's spirit comes down. When we, when we're, when we go to small group, we're able to encourage one another in the Lord. We're able to open up our heart and get healing and get direction. The devil is very interested in, in controlling what you believe. Jesus said, if you will focus on my word and you will invite the Holy Spirit into your life, the spirit of truth, you will be set free. But as long as you don't have any kind of relationship with the Bible, you don't have a relationship with the body, unified with the body, you don't have a relationship with the Holy Spirit. You will walk in deception, even though you may not realize you're deceived. 
you start, you'll start having more fear. You have more anxiety, less peace, less hope. He lulls us to sleep. Again, he is very interested in controlling what we think, which is why it is critical that we have a relationship with the Word of God. What happens is you read the Bible, you open up the Bible, you have your daily reading plan, and then because you have the Holy Spirit, he highlights some things. He says, hey, this is for you. Hey, you remember that thing you were praying about? I'm, I'm, I'm confirming it right here in this chapter. We have to have a relationship with the Holy Spirit. Now, how do we receive the, God's anointing, okay? How many of y'all want to be anointed like Jesus and David? How do we receive the anointing the same way Jesus and the disciples did? The baptism of the Holy Spirit. Jesus was baptized with the Holy Spirit at his water baptism. The disciples were baptized with the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. Now, this is really important because some of y'all may be thinking, hey, if I'm, if, okay, maybe I haven't received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, but I have the Holy Spirit in me, right? I have the Holy Spirit. And, and, and we know this is true because how many of you, when you gave your life to Jesus the first time, you notice a significant change, okay? So the Holy Spirit did do some work in your heart. But I'm going to tell you what he did. Look at Ephesians 1.13. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, Jesus, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. The reason why I said earlier that Jesus, that there are three baptisms, it's because of, it's because of this. Whenever you get saved, the Holy Spirit baptizes you into Jesus. Yeah, there's a significant change because you are baptized, you become part of the body of Christ. That, that is the first baptism. But it's also described as a seal. This is why you can say, man, yes, there's something changed. Something, when you got saved, something changed in my life. There was a seal. There was, this con- there was an inner confirmation. That, is, that was a work of the Holy Spirit. Look at 2 Corinthians one twenty one, And it is God who establishes, establishes us with you in Christ. And that's salvation, number one. And has anointed us, that's spirit baptism, 22. And who has also put his seal on us. He goes back to, the, to salvation, has put a seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. Yes, we know we are saved. We're going to heaven. Look at, uh, but look at John 20. This, this quick story is the story of when Jesus appeared to the disciples after he rose from the dead. I want you to listen carefully to what happened. This happened right after Jesus rose from the dead. Verse 19, on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked, where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and he said to them, peace be with you. And he had to say peace because this man appeared in their, in their room when the door had been locked. So they were, they were terrified. Say, hey, peace, peace out, guys. It's, good. it's okay, it's me. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. They realized it was the Lord. Like, oh, yes, this is the Lord. He did what he said he would do. He rose from the dead after three days. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so even I'm sending you. When he had said this, listen, this is, this is very interesting. He breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. Okay. Okay. This is John 20. And I think there's one more chapter. Why, the, if he breathed on them the Holy Spirit in this chapter, why would he again then say in Acts 1, hey, but you still got to wait for the promise of the Holy Spirit. If when you get saved, you receive all of the Holy Spirit. Because when you get saved, you are simply sealed 
with the Spirit. You, do not, you are not baptized with the Holy Spirit. He said, hey, before you go into all the world and preach the gospel, yes, the reason, they, the reason why he breathed on them instead of receive the Holy Spirit is because I believe in that moment that's when they got saved. Yes, they were following Jesus and believed he was the Messiah, but they, when he rose from the dead and appeared to them, they then had a decision to make. Am I going to continue to believe that he's the Messiah? The same way that we believe that Jesus died, was crucified, and then three days later rose from the dead, we have to decide if he's, that he, if he's the Son of God. In this story right here, they believed, and so Jesus said, okay, receive the Holy Spirit. I'm going to seal you with the Holy Spirit. But there is still another experience that you have to experience that, cause you, so that you can have power. Acts 1, And while staying with him, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. Verse 5, For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Baptism means immersion. When you're water baptized, and I remember I baptized somebody uh, um, recently, and they didn't go down all the way. And I was like, oh, I need to throw some more water on them because they go down all the way. <laughs> he says, you were baptized in water when John baptized you, but you have yet to receive the baptism in the Spirit, the immersion of the Spirit. Look at Acts 2. When they, the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven the sound of a mighty rushing wind, the same description that happened to David, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. They, the house was immersed. And de- divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on them, and they were all filled, immersed with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them the utterance. If we are to, listen carefully, if we are to experience the power that God has for us and to be supernaturally united as one church, we have to experience unity with the Holy Spirit. If you've given your life to Jesus, yes, the Holy Spirit has done a work in your heart, but you have not yet received the full immersion, the power of of the Holy Spirit. There are some, you don't have to raise your hand, but how many of us, you can say, hey, I love Jesus, I've given my life to Jesus, but I'm still struggling. I just, all the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, I, I experience them here and there, but I do not have an abiding love, I do not have an abiding peace, an abiding joy, abiding patience, I don't have those things. If you have not received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, I will tell you that that is the reason why. Because you have simply been sealed with the Spirit, but have not received the full experience, which is the immersion of the Holy Spirit. I want to give somebody some hope today. It's not this morning, today. That there is hope for you today, and God wants to give you that same power that He gave the disciples, and He's given other people. Amen.